How are you, John? How are you, John? What was wrong? I'm good, yeah. Thanks for having me. No worries, man. Um, so, what I'm... Sure, fuck it, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go straight into it. Um, yeah. How did you get the writing job on The Revolution Will Be, tele- will be Televised? Uh, so, uh, so I was kind of in conversations with another production company. Okay. To have my own show. Oh I was shit! Very new, and it was very. I had a lot of excited opportunities that came when I was very new. Yeah. Which, um, looking back, I was too new to properly capitalise on those. I was just yeah. like, oh right, yeah, I mean, the people and stuff like that. Yeah. And then those opportunities are not as present anymore. Yeah. But now I feel more. Um, that's one of the things. I think a bit with stand-up is, is yeah. your, there's a lot of excitement around you and, and I think I had a lot of opportunities which I didn't capitalise on that. Okay. Like what? Yeah. Why did you... Uh, oh, I mean, I don't want to go specific. No, Being kind of auditioned for things and stuff like that, yeah. now I feel I'd be very capable of doing, but at the time I just didn't have the kind of... Um, like so, so for example, like being auditioned for a new thing. I was talking about kind of seven, eight years ago. Auditioned for a topical panel show and doing quite well. And then the second round, they had one of the topics I was talking about. Do you remember Dale Farm? Yeah. Like, um, and it's a very hard topic to make funny. Kind of um, cut low, you know, it's very vulnerable people losing their homes. Yeah. And now I feel I have the kind of, you know, the ability to do that. But um, I'm starting to sound really better, I'm really not. No, I'm making, no. I'm making things that I'm happy with. And so that's, that's the thing, I mean, you know, podcasts and stuff like that. You, yeah. There's no, um, you could do whatever you want now. You have so it. much kind of artistic freedom we have. And it's you... been at the, the William Blake exhibition. Oh, that's. Uh, it's interesting how, like, it's very much two exhibitions. It's the exhibition of things that he was commissioned to do, and they're quite dry. And then there's all the kind of mad visions that he had that he did mm. for himself. And uh, and they are the things which are incredible, the things which he's doing for himself. And, and you know, and that's true of all, yeah. all kind of art forms, isn't it? And we live at a time now where it's incredibly easy to do to do your own thing. You know, I did a. Um, uh, I've always had political stuff, and then the last show I did wasn't really political at all. And you can just do that, you know, you don't have to be boxing, because you can be in a fringe and, and record it, put it out, you, can, you know. We live in a very free time. Yeah, that's right, and it's not like it was back in the day where the goal was to get onto TV. I mean, that's still no. quite a nice thing, but there's so many other mediums right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People don't have to compromise things at all. There's loads of things which are so... You know, things like the Guilty Feminist podcast, like, that's so niche. It's massive now. Yeah. There's no way that would ever be commissioned. You know, right. like, we said we want a live comedy show about sexual feminists. Yeah. You know, that's not ever, but they went and made it themselves. And now I saw a little... I might have wrong, but I think they're playing the Royal Hour Hall. You know, yeah. It's incredible, you know, for... for uh, for a homemade DIY thing with incredibly niche appeal, you know, 95% of people that's not going to be for them, but that 5% are going to find it and go and see it. Right. I only got, I only really got into that podcast 
from listening to uh, Table Man, the Table Manners podcast with Jessie Ware and her mother. Right, I've had that over. It's absolutely, it's phenomenal. If you've got a Jewish mother, then it's very relatable. Okay, I don't, but <laughs> oh, I'll try it. <laughs> if you've got, okay, if you've got a family that likes food and likes cooking and stuff, then right. it's, yeah, like sitting down and just being in each other's business, then it's... Okay, then yeah, there's a bit of that in my family. <laughs> Um, and, and they had um, the guilty feminist on the on as an as a guest, right? Like a crossover thing. Well, yeah, because they they, they 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 invite them they and they invite them down for um, for for dinner with the for dinner with the family. So it's oh. Jessie Ware, her mum, and whoever the guest is, and the mum and Jessie cook for them, and then they have the interview there. Oh. Um, and it, she was hilarious. She's actually really fun, and it was. Yeah, you're right. It's very, but it is very niche. I don't think I haven't heard the table manager, but that as a kind of, if in TV, if you pitch that idea, of, so so what it's it's people eating around the table, it's like a family meal. Is that the kind of premise of it? So it's a mum, it's mum and daughter cooking for a celebrity, a celebrity right. guest, and sort of had the likes of Cheryl Cole, they've had the likes oh, of wow. um, uh, Mel B's on there, Keith Sutherland's been on there, like it's yeah, and that's incredible. But I think if you pitch that, I mean, maybe I, Jesse Ware is more famous than I, 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 I am now, but it's lots of very famous people I haven't heard of. But like, it feels like if you pitch that to TV, they'd love want a name attached to it. But yeah. it's like working, you know, without having a, you know, a big name production company yeah. behind it. And yeah. it's a lot more, well, you can be a lot more free thinking, a lot more, for, well, I don't want to say free speech, because that's got some negative, but some weird negative connotations. But you know, it is. There's a, there's a point to the who, a podcast, and where you can say whatever you yeah. want in a way that you couldn't in a lot of other mediums, you know, and I don't think that's necessarily a, you know, that's not a reactionary thing to say, that's a fact, and that's yeah. the freedom of podcasts that you can do, yeah, you can say whatever you want. Speaking of which, you've got the Amer- you've got the Emergency Mixtape podcast. How, yes, did you come, yeah. how did you come up with that? Um, I... I just feel I'm very nerdy about music. So Good. I yes. Me and my friends to talk about music and mixtapes and things like that. So for people who don't know, so it's a podcast about um, we make a mixtape for for every situation okay. that we find ourselves in. So say if we're going to go to space, what music would we want to listen to on the way? And um, yeah, so it's been it's really fun to make and, and uh, talk a lot about kind of why people listen to music, what situations yeah. we listen to it in. And me and Graham Rice, another comic who I do the podcast with. Uh, very much like we make a playlist for a specific situation, you know, the driving at night playlist, and it's kind of very emphasized. So, do you remember like your first album that you brought? Uh, like, bought. Or had bought for you, or? bought um, B52's Panic Flare. Nice! It's my full first album. Oh. Followed up by some less cool albums. Was it? Um, but, yes, yeah, so, I, I don't know what, what, why, it's from my dad's music collection, but he was. He had a B-52s album, mm. uh, which I really liked that. But then, and then I listened to a lot of pop music, but which yeah, look, looking very, um, pop music is very good. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I've always been very nerdy about music. Funny enough, I speak because I, I was at a gig in Reading last night, and the B-52s and Love Shack came on, mm. and I, I honestly think that is one of the greatest songs ever made. Mm. And I was with a younger comic, and I was like, "Oh, this song's brilliant!" He was, he was like, "Who?" Who is this? What? I've never heard of this. And I was like, you haven't heard of the B-52s? That's crazy. Because four hour, because how old are you? 28. So it's like before, I'm just, that's bad, I'm similar age. Yeah. Before our time, yeah. it just was on at school discos. And yeah. Great I should, yeah. I just remember having a, a tape with a lot of 70s and 80s disco, uh, disco and soul music on it. Mm. And 
that was one of that was one of the that and Sister Sledge's We Are Family and The Greatest Answer were on that were on that were on that compilation and I think those are two even though they're not the best those are like, they're not the best songs those are two staples of my chart of my childhood. The songs you listen to uh, those kind of first songs you listen to have such an impact. On. Yeah. Like the first band that you're really into. Mm. Like the first. Yeah, like like first like time you uh, first time I heard hip hop music, it was like this is like nothing I've ever listened to. When was that? Before. Do you remember? Like probably was like a, a probably something that was around. I was maybe dismissive of because I was very into guitar music as a teenager. Probably the first hip hop album I was really into was late registration with Kanye West. Oh, okay. So it's quite late to get into the popular music. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, I'd never really explored it before. So like, I'd always, that album would always have a kind of um, a real soft spot for. And you know, it is also a very good album. I think. Oh, so, uh, to be honest, it's a great album. Um, I had a debate with someone, which I actually lost because I because I, I argued against myself. I said that Late Registration was the greatest Kanye album, but then I then had to go back and think. Okay, no, my view of Dark Twisted Fantasy is better than that. The, yeah, people Dark Twisted Fantasy album. It's and probably Jesus as well. Oh, now this is where we. Why? Why Jesus? Come on, tell me. I think it. It sounds like it's made in space. <laughs> It's a real thing on the, about art generally, not just music. Okay. When you listen to something, and um, I should say for the podcast, I'm eating some sushi. Um, when you listen to it, and you go, this is like it's not from this crap. Yeah. You know, and, and I saw Darren Harriet say on Twitter, I think it's really true, that if you listen to the album, it sounds like it could be made. Is it, what was it, about 10 years old? That's um, 2013. Right, okay, so seven years old, but it feels like it could be made in 2015. Like, yeah. It's, it just sounds like there's nothing else that sounds like it. It just forces you to pay attention. I suppose so, I suppose you're right. Uh, in a way that maybe, even though I think they're great, like really fresh sounding hip hop albums, and maybe the kind of earlier kind of stuff doesn't quite in the same way that when you put on, uh, you know, well, what's, what's the. Um, New Slaves. Uh, I think most isn't the first one with the, I, know, I was going to say the one with the weird simply thing, but that's all of them. Isn't it? <laughs> but um, but no, we're tracks in that where you just go, what what is this? And it's, yeah. it's shocking and and you know and, and, and it's a part of it offensive and part yeah. of it it's just like this so mad. But I think that's what you know what kind of as well. I think I'm mad in a brilliant way. Yeah, and he was less mad, and that was. More I, I I just couldn't get into it. Um, I, because I, I'm a bit of a hip, I'm a hip hop fan, so I, I when I heard that Kanye was bringing out an album, I expected hip hop, hip hop. I was like, great, this is going to be fantastic. Then what it was, then I listened to what it was, and I deleted it straight away. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's not really a hip hop album, is it? No, it's, it's like a. I think that's like that. It's just not. It's not really comparable to anything else. I think that's why I enjoy about it. But also, I get. I get why. I will argue a lot about Kanye with people. Yeah. But I. I do have to accept why people don't like it. Yeah. Because it is. You know. And there's bits on these which are horribly offensive. Yeah. Um. And. But. And I get why it wouldn't be for everyone. Yeah. But yeah, when I had that, I was just like this is. 
I remember vividly um, a suit, well, that album's released the same day as, do you know who the Lonely Island are? Yeah. Yeah, they released their third, they released their third studio album on that same day. Right. And I listened to both of them, deleted Jesus, and I remember tweeting, I can't believe we've reached the day where the Lonely Island power better hip hop album than Kanye West. <laughs> Yeah, it's not like, what, what do you think, have you heard Igor, the Tyler album? The Tyler of the Crit? No, I've heard... It's very like genre bending and, and uh, you know, it, it's, I mean, it was an interview where he, where he kind of, there's, there's a thing at the Grammys, wasn't it, so where he said that it, he feels it's been pushed into the rap category, yeah. but it's not really a rap album, it's kind of a, it's its own thing, I guess. I think, like, now, in the headspace I am and the person I am now, I'd probably be able to appreciate Jesus or something like Igor from listening if I listen to it now for the first time for the first time. Or oh, screw it, I'm actually gonna go back and listen to Jesus now that I've now that we've spoken I mean, about yeah, it. I think it's <laughs> great. But if it is it's not yeah, it's not a hip hop album. It's, it's not, not, no. It is uh, it's it's uh, yeah. Well there's the story that um, in the making of it, he uh, a month, like a month before it was meant to, be re- meant to be released, there was no plan or anything. He just went to Rick Rubin and just with just some sound, just some sounds and some vocals. And <coughs> Rick Rubin was just like, um, "Okay, fine. Um, how um, how long do we have to make this?" Um, Kanye said, "Oh, we're releasing it in a month," <laughs> which is the most Kanye West thing I think Kanye West has ever done. Because I read a thing about like on average. About how all his projects are late all the time. Yeah. How there's like the, there's like, I think there's only been two projects that have been released on time. Which <laughs> is incredible. But yeah, I think it's So, uh, talking back to you for a second, I'm really, what I'm quite interested in is how people perform, like not just comics, just performers in general, how they're shaped and stuff. So, when do you think you got the bug for performing? Uh, so I was very much like outside and not fitting in at school, and then none, I could write <coughs> funny bits and I kind of share them around, print them out, share them around the class, and like funny kind of weird stories about people in my class and stuff like yeah. that. And um, sometimes I'd be allowed to read them out in the other class. Um, so that kind of Thing, it? It was, nice. you know, yeah. someone not fitting in and then that being almost like a defense mechanism of, yeah uh, okay well actually this is this is where uh, well if you're not if they're not laughing at, if they're not well, laughing with you they're laughing at you and so yeah. you rather make them laugh <laughs> with you all right yeah yeah I'm, yeah like to be fair i kind of i'm kind of similar in that in that in that regard like well even though i was kind of popular not popular really in school but I was known in school and I just thought to myself right they're even gonna laugh at me and they're gonna laugh with me mm. might as well do stuff to make them like and make them laugh and make them, and make them laugh the comedians were never like um, with respect they were never like the cool kids at school <laughs> no it is the kind of outsider yeah outsider but I think that's what Drives us kind of, well, kind of drives us kind of sort of maybe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's something. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of kind of um, a lot, a lot, a lot of kind of 
that not, but, you know, when you unpick it, it's probably yeah. got comics that, you know, fitted in and have not, you, you know, that there's a kind of almost like a kind of unhappiness behind this. Yeah. And it's just a bit of a kind of coping mechanism. You know, definitely, for me, it came from not feeling, not fitting in, from not feeling kind of, um, you know, from, from feeling pressures as a man to be kind of masculine and knowing that I was yeah. going to live up to those, um, those pressures and not be kind of a, a, a masculine man yeah. and kind of almost going, uh, you know, well, I'm going to throw it back at you, I suppose. Yeah. That's the driving force, yeah. Well, there is, there is, well, just by the nature of the art form, there is a please accept me, accept me, please. Um, not fear, not idea, not theory. What's the word I'm looking for? I can't figure the word. But that, but also you know, part of like, no, this is uh, you know, all, any conversation about stand up includes gross generalisations. Yeah. It's, it's obviously acceptable. But I think part of what you do in stand up is almost going, well, I don't care if you if you go up. If you the, the, when you see someone very new and the thing that they, you know they're struggling, often it's because you can see they're going. I really want you to like me. Yeah. Whereas if you see someone that's really, or not even good, really experienced, you see that they're going. Well, I don't care. And that kind of I don't care. Yeah. It's almost part of, part of it in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I see what you're saying. Yeah. That obviously I want people to like me and laugh at me. But part of the kind of pretense you have to uphold is going, I don't care either way, but I'm getting that, getting that mindset, not yeah. caring, you know? Well, I've can't, what, I've, what I've learned from doing this and also been doing comedy for nearly two years is that when you do, when things, if things don't go well, at first, well, when, it, when you're first starting out, it can hit you really, really hard. Mm. However, the, the longer you go on, and the times where things go badly for you get fewer and fewer, you learn to deal with it a lot better. You learn to deal with it a lot better. Yeah, definitely. Because there's always, there's always going to be those times where, you know, and they get fewer and fewer. But, um, yeah, I have one called oh, October. And it has now, you know, kind of maybe once a year. Or yeah. Which it feels fairly good off, but where, <laughs> for whatever reason, the audience didn't didn't like what I was selling. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that way I would have hated that um, kind of seven years ago. <coughs> but now it's kind of like, well, I know the next time. Yeah. You know, I know it wasn't anything I did, I know the next time it will work. It'll just, you know, yeah. I had, one on th- I had a gig on Thursday where it didn't go bad. It was just very, very lukewarm. It was just very, very lukewarm. And that's partly due to me, like, not... Being like, and, I'm, and I knew I did this as soon as I walked on stage and I said my opening line. So I changed the opening line from something to something else. And by doing that, I was not as likable in inverted commas as I, as I usually am when I, when I come on with that opening yeah. line. And I thought, okay, you've done this. Just go, just go for it and see what happens. Yeah, and, that, and you know, and that's, I suppose it's like, I remember when I was starting to feel like every gig really matters. Yeah. You know, and actually no individual gig matters. No. Know? Like I, you know, take a gig after this and, and I hope it goes well and yeah. I hope that, um, 
you know, because there's a club I like playing and, and uh, do you know, I want to get rebooked there. Yeah. But it's possible that I go up there and certain might not quite click and yeah. they'll all hate me. And that doesn't really matter, you know, that my yeah. career's not over. No. You know, and I think it's almost like you've got to kind of go, not. Yeah, it's, e- it's easier to not worry about too much than that being able to feel secure in what you're doing, I suppose. Yeah, that's it. And that's part of finding your voice, I'm guessing, as yeah. well. Yeah, I think so. Not that I found my voice, yeah. No. The <laughs> thing which I think like I feel most, like, like most how I still don't, I'm going like 10 years now. And when I started, if someone's going 10 years, I'm like, wow, you know, they've got it sorted. But I still don't, you know, <laughs> I still am working out who I am and who, you know, what stuff I want to talk about. And, and I feel I really like that, you know, because yeah. I, you know, the past couple of years I've started talking about really different things. Yeah. And I'm really enjoying it. I feel comedy feels make it feel fresh again you know like I, I did um, three hour political shows and then my fourth one um, was all about being autistic and, and mental health and um, and that felt so like fresh and it was like this you know it felt like I was coming at it new, new you know it was really that's, oh, that's really that's really that's really refreshing a really refreshing thing to say because you won't you don't often hear that kind of, you don't often hear that kind of mindset when you're speaking when you're speaking to comics because the the end goal apparently is to find your voice, but ultimately you do want to keep learning. So if you do the same thing over and over again, it does get it does get it yeah, will get boring. Yeah, I don't think I. I think I've always been really interested in it's like a, a book which I read a patch on me was James Joyce's Portrait of the Artist, and I, so in that book. He's getting older throughout the book, and it's yeah. the way that he talks is different through the whole thing. And, and there's a bit where he's kind of pretty religious. There's always scriptures yeah. of hell that goes on for ages. And um, I did a, a fringe show based on that, where I got older throughout the show, and it allowed me to have a different voice at the beginning of the show and at the end of the show. And I think, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I suppose. There are those comics that have got a clear, you know, Jack D's got a very clear angle, yeah. and it's brilliant. But I've never felt, I've never had a strong sense of self. No. I feel like I can draw out. You know, I think my sense of self comes from that I'm always trying to work, work stuff out. You know, it's not a, it's not a fixed, not a fixed, fixed mind, yeah. not a fixed mindset. Yeah, and I think all my all my friend shows there's been some kind of change at the beginning of you know, the person I am at the end of the show is different from the person I am. What you mean at the end of a run or the, at the end of the at the end of the show? So at the start, okay. um, I did a show ten things I hate about UKIP. Nice. Started very very certain about politics and about being left wing and knowing we're the good guys, and it kind of throughout the show starts to question, you know. Am I actually a good person, or am I just someone that has these politics and uses? So that that was the kind of premise of the show. Um, so yeah, so I think yeah, within that show, I think there's two. Certainly, at least two voices. The voice at the end is very uncertain about things, and very feels very hopeless. And then at the beginning, the, there's a, it's a kind of more of a, a kind of rallying, um, certain voice. But yeah. Yeah. 
so that makes sense. Sounds very pretentious. No, it doesn't. It's, it's fuck it. No, the more I love the more people say it's pretentious, <laughs> but like I find I think that the more semi sort of pretentious you are when we're talking about when, when we're doing this kind of thing, the more informative it is. Yeah. Because if if, if you could have just because you could have just easily just said, oh. Um, I used to. Um, oh no, not that. Not that. Not that. My voice. Don't really need to. Next question. But the fact that you went into it <coughs> is actually really helpful. I'm really looking forward to listening yeah. back to that. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm thinking about it. I um, I do. I do think it's um, that, that that is such a thing about finding your voice, and it does. But I the thing with comedy is that for every rule, there's like a hundred exceptions. Of it, yeah. Um, and. Uh, I think I think they could be really useful those kind of comedy courses, um, and there's you know I think particularly the people I see who've done Jill Edwards' course they come out really good. Yeah. But at the same time, um, there's no I think those it's almost like you're being taught to be an artist. Yeah. There's a certain way that you can draw someone's face as like the proportions of, of you know someone's eyes and their nose and, and yeah. you know and you can be taught how to do that, but then. There's so many great artists that don't follow those rules. Yeah. But uh, you know, there's there's rules in comedy, but then also if you want to break those rules, then you can. I think speaking of courses, I think because I did one to get myself started, like mm. um, a couple of, well a couple of years ago, I did the Kate Smurfite one at mm. City Academy, and like whilst she's a very good teacher, I think that course was really only useful. Just to get me up and doing, just to get me, yeah. get me out and doing gigs. Because otherwise, it would have been one of those things where I say, "Oh, do you know, what? I'd like to. I'll, I'll do that one day. I'll do that mm. one day. I'll do that one day." And I hear that all the time from people who go to open mic and say, oh, "I'm gonna start. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do my first one in that in, in a couple months' time." It's like, why not now? Yeah. Like the stage is like right there. The stage is right there. It's <laughs> probably gonna drop out. You wanted to do a couple of minutes. I'm sure the MC will let you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the course was for me just a means to get me up and doing it. Now I've got, and now I have the financial, I've had the financial investment into it, and now I'm doing another course, which at the side of theatre, which I'm finding even actually genuinely finding even more informative because right. it's about breaking, really properly analysing my set, yeah, and meeting people who direct comedy and write comedy and stuff, and that's. Really, really, it's helpful. Mm. It's helpful. It's helpful oh, yeah. definitely. I'm sure. Yeah, I know. I never did that. And I think, yeah, I think as long as people know that there's no fixed rules, yeah. you know, that there, there's guidelines that are useful, and yeah. you pick up and drop those guidelines as much as you need. Of course. But, but there's no, um, yeah, there's no, there's no, no fixed things you can and can't do. Yeah. So that's the end of part one of my conversation with the wonderful Joe Wells. Uh, if you liked what you heard, then please click up and listen to part two. 